You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. Uh, The Bible is really a volume, a collection, and most of these books are just a few pages long. Uh, Out of these 66, from Genesis to Revelation, and it's not in chronological order necessarily, uh, it illuminates and teaches us the how and why of who we are. It is God's revelation of himself to man. Uh, The Old Testament points to, leads to, directs to, and tells us of a promised one who is called the Messiah, who will come and rescue mankind from the result of their own poor decisions and sin. The New Testament is the arrival of that Messiah. His name is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus. His name is Jesus. The Bible is his story. History is his story. It's the story of Jesus. So as we begin this origins study, which by the way, origins is the literal translation of the word Genesis. Genesis means in English, Genesis is not an English word. Genesis means the beginnings or the origins. And when the Bible was written, uh, before there was the Bible, everything in the origins of man was passed down verbally from generation to generation. It was passed down uh, when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness. God instructed him to write down these origins as well as the laws of the Lord. And those five books are the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah. The very first book of that Torah is called the origins or the beginnings. And that is the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is broken up into two parts. The first part is known as the human race. And the second part is known as the Hebrew race. As you take a look on this, on this uh, illustration, the human race is, is the part of chapters 1 through 11, which is what we're focusing on. And then the Hebrew way, a race begins the story of the life of the Hebrews, beginning with Abraham. The human race, the dates are unknown, and it is more historical in in that it's a story. And while the second part, it is more biographical as it deals with individuals, and those dates can be traced. Now, of the human race, there's five main sections, which are what we're going to look at uh, in the midst of this origin story, because the origins, we're just doing chapters 1 through 11. The last time we we uh, we did the origins, part 1, was creation, and that was a couple weeks ago. Today, we're going to do Adam and Eve. Then we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. Then we're going to do Noah and the flood, and then the Tower of Babel or the nation. So five parts to the human race, and then the Hebrew race, which we're not going to talk about in this series. We'll probably do an origins part two next year where we do uh, chapter 12 to 50, but that covers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and briefly their life in Egypt. Those five main topics of the Hebrew race. Now, the big question is, is did God really make the world. Uh, You know, is it a myth? Is it a metaphor? Is it symbolic? Is it allegorical? Is it literal? Uh, I believe that because Jesus said that creation and the law of Moses and the prophets, he quoted Genesis as literal 
and as a fact, and the apostles of Jesus quoted Genesis as literal and as a fact, then I want to align myself not with your opinion, but with the opinion of the historical Jesus Christ. And yes, I believe that Genesis is a literal event. And so that's going to mean some very difficult questions as we unwrap these first 11 chapters, because there's some pretty fantastical things that are happening in these first 11 chapters that we got to wonder if that really happened. But I do believe it is literal, and I'm in pretty good company because I'm in the company of Jesus, and I believe the Bible can be trusted. But here's the reality. The reality is this. Unless we agree with this verse that I'm about to read, then we will always struggle with Genesis. And this is the verse, Isaiah 55, 8. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, nor my ways your ways, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, I invite you to pursue the God of creation as he reveals himself in Genesis. And with it will come questions, and many of those questions cannot be answered. For example, the age of the earth, we talked about this in the last one, cannot be answered, okay? And we talked about why, and you can listen to it online. We kind of talk about evolution. We talk about issues of atheism, and and we kind of dive into that when we talk about chapter one last time. Uh, The Bible does tell us everything that we need to know, but it doesn't always tell us everything we want to know. So we need to embrace the fact that some kind, sometimes there, you know, God keeps secrets. There are things that, that he does and knows that we will not know until we get to see him with our own eyes face to face. The most important verse in the Bible is Genesis 1.1, and that is this. In the beginning, in the origins, God created the heavens and the earth. In that one verse... We are told that this one God who is eternally preexistent before all things created all things. It does not try to explain it. It doesn't even say how he did it. He just gives us an order of things and a bit of a timeline. It just states it. This world, this creation is not something that we can just put in a package and try to uh, reason all the details out. The Bible tells us what we need to know, not always what we want to know. Genesis is not about how God created, but that God created and why he created. So what we are taking a look at is honestly the literal accounts and the unanswered questions that come along with that. Here's a verse in Isaiah that is crucial to us getting Genesis, and it is in Isaiah 54, 18. It says, for This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He established it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. There is no other God. There is no other deities. There is one Lord who is preexistent, who established all things, created all things, and is before and has eternally been since all things. Now, what we talked about last week is we're laying a foundation because today we're going to talk about, last week it was the 
creation. Today, it's the couple. We're going to talk about the couple. Who's the couple? What's their names? Anybody know? Adam and Eve. So we're going to talk about Adam and Eve today. You see, this verse tells us, and Genesis 1 tells us, that God formed and then he filled. We kind of unpacked this last week, that in the seven days that are recorded in Genesis 1 and 2, that on day one, he separated the light from the darkness and uh, created space and time. And in day two, he separated the atmosphere and established water and sky. And in day three, he established the land and he put trees and grass and flowers and plants. He formed things on days one through three, and then he filled them on days four through six. For on day four, he took that vast space that he formed and filled it and placed the constellations in their place. On day five, he took that land uh, and that water. He took the water that he formed and separated, and he filled it with sea and flying creatures of the water and of the air. And on day six, he filled the land with land animals and mankind, his image bearers. And then on the seventh day, he took a break. God does not get tired. He doesn't go, whew, I need a break. How many of you guys need a break? Only a few of you. The rest of you are refreshed. You're ready to go. How many of you need a break? <laughs> That's most of us. I need a break. So at this point, I'm going to hand this over to my wife, and she's going to preach the rest of the message. So God saw, God separated, God called, God made, God placed, God created. All those words are used in Genesis 1. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, God stopped, and the word used is rest. And it's Genesis 2.1. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, and by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Guess what the word Sabbath means? Seventh. <laughs> the Sabbat. It means seventh. So on the Sabbat, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Number three, then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. That's why it's called the Sabbath. It's a holy seventh. And he blessed that day, made it holy, because on it he rested from the work he created that he had done. Now, God does not need to rest. The word rest in the literal simply means God did nothing on that day. It means he took a break. He didn't do anything. Sabbath means seventh rest. It means to cease. It means to take a break. It means to rest. Now, the Sabbath or the Sabbath, God commanded in Exodus 20 that we are to observe and remember this Sabbath. Now, we worship on a Sunday, not on a Saturday. Saturday is the seventh day of the week. Now, it's important to realize that when Jesus walked the earth, his disciples had done some work on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees condemned him and his disciples. And Jesus said something very powerful. He says, you guys have missed the whole point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a gift from God to us. Man was not made for the Sabbath, Jesus said. The Sabbath was made for man. Guys, listen, biology even dictates that our body works in a seven-day cycle. Some of you guys, you have not had a day off in weeks. And I will tell you this, you will never fully function as a healthy person until you learn to enjoy a Sabbath. A Sabbath for you might be a Saturday. It might be a Sunday. It might be a 
Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. It might even be two half days. But the point is, the Sabbath is holy. It's designed for you to restore, to be refreshed. God gifted it to us. He uh, charged us. He challenged us. You need a day of restoration. So if you are not taking a break, if you don't have a day where you get to just refresh and restore and relax and do nothing, then you need to really rearrange your schedule because you will be always frustrated, uh, flustered, angry, irritated because our body is meant to be refreshed and restored. It's God's gift to us. So don't neglect that Sabbath. So God created seven days, put in a day of rest for us to, to just relax and to be refreshed. And so begins the glory days of the Bible. Short-lived. We have no idea how long they are. God created the heavens and the earth. He put uh, birds in the air, fish in the, in the water, and he put land on the animals. He created Adam and Eve, and he said, all right, guys, have a seventh-day rest and just enjoy life. So the glory days had come. Evil had not crept in. Sin had not yet surfaced. All was well and perfect on the world. We do not know how long it lasted. In this we see, in these glory days, we see God's design for us in the way we were meant to live. So what I want to do today is I want to give you three categories that we're going to talk about where God designed us to be. And uh, I want to challenge you. This week, like last, we will touch on a few sensitive issues. But when the scriptures speak, I do not hide. So I want to challenge you to, be, uh, to allow the Lord, seek the Lord as God as the God of creation who reveals himself and his design for us. So, first of all, I want to talk about the person we were meant to be. And what happens in Genesis 1, it's kind of like this, this big overview. Day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, first two verses of, of chapter 2, 7, rest. And then the writer, Moses, starts over to re-describe in a little more detail, specifically the creation of human beings. So chapter 2 focuses on specifically the sixth day of creation. So let's kind of pick it up right there. Actually, let's go back a little bit to Genesis 1.26, and then we're going to jump back forward to Genesis 2. Because in Genesis 1, we get the creation of human beings. And this is what it says in verse 26. It says, Then God, which is the word Elohim, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. This multidimensional God, our image, our likeness, who is one God, but, but multidimensional. These are glimpses of the Trinity in chapter 1 of Genesis. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds and in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God, Elohim, the multidimensional God created a singular verb. So it's one being who is multidimensional said this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both Adam and Eve, both man and woman, male and female. He created them. We have three times in one verse, God said, he created them. He created them. He created them. We are not a result of biological process. Mankind is, is not spontaneous, but purposeful. God created them. He created them. He created them. According to the Bible, we are not animals. We are not just 
the result of evolutionary process, we are different from the animal kingdoms. It doesn't matter how much some of you look like a chimpanzee. <laughs> we are not animals. Because we were made in the image of God, we will never find our place in this life until we find our place in God. See, that's an issue that's going on in the world right now. We don't understand that we are created in the image of God, and as a result, we, you know, society says we, have, we must take sides on who is more valuable, more important. Guys, listen, we are all created in the image of God. And if there's one thing I want you to walk out of here today is that we are created with value and with purpose as image bearers of God himself. We are not animals. We are not to respond or react as animals. We are created in the image of God to reflect his purpose. The life we were meant, uh, the person we were meant to be, number one is this, made in God's image means that we are created with value. Every person in this room, every person alive, every person in an institution, every person in prison, every person in a hospital, every person on some sort of ventilator or life support system is valuable in the eyes of God for they are image bearers of God himself created in his image. The image of God does not mean that we have physical appearance of God, that we are his physical image but rather his capacity to be creative, to be relational, to pursue good, to pursue justice, to love. These are things and qualities and attributes the most advanced animal does not, does not have. By the way, here's a, a hiccup in the evolutionary process. Evolution says our closest ancestors are the chimpanzees or those in the, in the uh, you know, ape family and uh, um, but here's a dilemma, is that if that were so, then their brains should be larger uh, than the average animal and smarter than the average animal. Guess who the two smartest animals on the planet are? They're not chimpanzees. They are the dolphin and the parrot and raven. The parrot and raven uh, are two. In fact, the parrot and raven has a brain that's as smart as about a three-year-old. So you have within a... The, the birds are considered the low rung of the evolutionary ladder. And below them, the sea creatures. But, but yet God created a sea creature with an incredible intelligence, which evolution would be all haywire if that were the case. And the birds, not all birds are that smart, just those. See, God has designed a very, a very visible hiccup in the process of what is known as evolution, and that is it is broken terribly. We are not animals. God created us each uniquely, and we are created with value. All of this, you and I, created by design for his design to be a picture of him, his, to be a picture of his goodness. We are to be his image, his invisible image in skin. That's us. We are the image of God. His goodness, his grace, his kindness, his compassion, his love, his creativity. Humanity is the pinnacle of creation. Incredibly distinct from creation. All life, guys, listen, is holy under the Lord, but not all life is sacred. As much as we should look out for animals and, and uh, look out for the mistreatment of animals, it is not to be above the mistreatment of a human being. Humanity is set apart over all creation, and humanity alone is 
sacred. We are above angels, even in God's eyes, for they are only spirit, for we are both spirit and body. And though angels fell and will find a day of, of, of condemnation and judgment in the lake of fire for those that have fallen, God did not provide a way of redemption and restoration for the angelic beings, only mankind. We are even above the angels, according to God. Because we are created with his thumbprint on our soul, we are created with value. All human life is sacred and must be treated with dignity. All human life, regardless of whether you are born or unborn, you have value and we, and, and we are to be treating uh, them with dignity and, and with respect, whether, uh, regardless of whether you are healthy, regardless of whether you are uh, cognitive, regardless of whether you have full capabilities or not, regardless of whether you are young or old, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your income, regardless of whether you are a legal person or an illegal person, regardless of what you believe in, regardless of what you think, even regardless of how you live, you are valuable in the eyes of God and must be treated with respect and dignity. Because we are all, as human beings, created in the image of God. Guys, listen, we don't always have to agree with everybody's choices, but we must because they are image bearers of God in God in skin. We are to give them the value and respect that a human life deserves. They are sacred. Even someone who's in sin, even someone who does wrong, even someone who's guilty of doing terrible things, they are still valuable. No one is a piece of trash. No one has expired their ability to breathe air. Number two, the person we're meant to be is it made in the image means that we are created with purpose. Not only are we valuable, but we are created with purpose. There are no accidents. To God, every life has meaning and purpose. What is our purpose? Very simple. It's not to run a marathon. It's not to be a great athlete or to be a great speaker or to cure cancer. Our purpose is this, to reflect God's goodness and character in all that we do. So it doesn't matter what your mental or your physical capabilities are. You can reflect and honor and mirror God's glory. In fact, some of the most amazing people that I know are people with severe disabilities. They're the people that I think reflect God in ways that I can't. People who are in, in impoverished nations who are living under Christ, people who are under tremendous amount of persecution and pressure and tribulation, man, when they live to honor God, it's beautiful. Our purpose is to reflect God's goodness and character in all that we do for our lives are to worship the creator. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. For the glory of God. Now, I want to share something with you. See if that will balance her. I've got some chocolate. Anybody here like chocolate? Okay, a few of you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually uh, hand out some chocolate. Who would like some chocolate? All right. Some of you guys are not chocolate fans. Some of you, no doubt about it. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pass this. Hey, Nicole, could you give a, just a couple of rows of these? We'll see how far back it goes. You guys want any chocolate? Okay. Here you go. I'm gonna, you can start there. And uh, 
Well, there's more. Let's see if that makes it to there. Hey, we'll see if it makes it over here. And uh, we'll let you guys, you guys want to have, try some? Just open it up. And if you don't want any, then just keep on passing and uh, skip a few rows and we'll go here. This is the back row. So I already took some out of that one. Um, oh, ma'am, just take a bite. Yeah. Break it off, then take a bite. Don't take a bite and pass. We got a few OCD people that would not like that. I'm one of them. <laughs> I mean, there's something about this. You know, God gave us this ability. Mm. That's a gift from the Lord. God could have given us simply robotic motor functions to just eat food to sustain life. Our food could taste like dog food, but no, God gave us the ability to to think and to create and to make and to enjoy his creation and to eat delicious, sugary things. When you let it melt on your tongue, you know, even the stuff on your teeth when you eat chocolate tastes good. (laughs) You know, God did that. And you know what? When you eat something that's delicious, that gives God honor. When you go, mmm, let me guys, today you're going to go to lunch. Some of you are going to put something in your mouth and you go, mmm. You know what? God's response is, I did that. And I gave you that ability to enjoy it. And then, you know, you mow the lawn. It's a hot day. Man, there's nothing like water, huh? Mmm. There's so much perfect about about water. Life cannot even sustain on any planet, on earth, without just this simple, simple compound. Water. Mm. So versatile, so delicious. God says, I did that. Here's what's cool. When we participate in what God's creation was intended to be, when we participate in God's plan and design for something, it honors God. It reflects his goodness. It, it gives him glory. Who's that, who, raise your hand if you got some chocolate. All right. And it probably, maybe a little, is any of it still left? Still a little bit? All right. How many of you guys like that piece of chocolate? Wasn't that good? You know who did that? The Lord did that. God did that. He did that for us. He did that for me. He purposely designed food to taste good, to be delicious. You know, Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything that we have, everything that we do, everything was designed this purpose, to give him honor, to give him glory. Chapter 2 begins with day 7 and then gives greater detail. So we're going to jump down to that portion. We already read about the Sabbath, and then the writer jumps into the creation of man. We get a little bit more detail. Let's take a look at it. Verse 4, Genesis 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. What happens in verse 4 changes all of the Bible. 
In chapter 1, we hear the story of Elohim, which is the ancient word generically God. It just means God, El. Elohim is, the, is a very unique Hebrew view of God. But El, Elohim is just God. But what happens in verse 4 is you might notice the word Lord is added in front of the word God. And the word Lord, which is translated just Lord, is actually much richer and deeper than that. That's the first appearance of the name of God. Every time you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, or whenever you even see just Lord God together, whether it's capitalized or not, the Lord is a word that is the name of God, and the word God is generally Adonai or Elohim. What is that word? What is the name of God? The name of God is revealed in verse 4. And the word is a, it's known as the Tetragrammaton, and it's four Hebrew letters, and the letters are Yad, He, Va, and He. But when you read those four letters, this is what it sounds like, the name of God. Are you ready? Yahweh. Over time, it's been, transliter- it's been transliterated into the word Yahweh. And then they combine the word Adonai with it, and it's Yahowah. And then over time, as it was translated into Greek, it became Yehovah, which is with the J, we read it as Jehovah. The word Jehovah in the ancient is Yahweh. The very name of God is breath, air. Genesis 7, we see then the Lord God, Yahweh, formed a man. By the word, the word man in Hebrew is Hadam. His name means dirt. (laughs) Because the word for dirt is So Adam, formed from the dirt, is man. Mankind means people made out of dirt. He formed a man from the dust of the ground, the Hadama, and he breathed, he rocked, he breathed the spirit. He spirited into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man, the Hadama, became a living being. The word being there means soul. He became a soul. Guys, listen. The life we were meant to live, write this down. Number one is the life we were meant to live, we were created to worship God. We were created by our very breath. Guys, listen, the very first words, the very first sounds of a newborn baby is the name of God. As a child breathes and begins to cry. As a person leaves this life and transitions into the last, into the next life. The very last words, the very last sounds on a person's lips are the very names of God. You see, we were designed with every single breath to declare his name, to declare his glory, created to reflect the God of life and light in our daily life. Our very breath is called to be worship. It declares the glory of our creator, And guys, listen, we were created and designed to worship. And when we do not understand that we were designed to worship the one who gives us our very breath, then what happens is we worship other things. Because we are so designed and so committed to worship, apart from God, we will worship something, a job, a career, our education, our family, a person. There is a desire shaped by God and a desire satisfied by God alone. There's a God-shaped whole in every single person. 
He gives us his name in our very breath, and we are to know him and to honor him and to lift him up and to seek his face with every breath of our very life. For calls out to us, Yahweh, Yahuwah, calls out to us to declare and to know him. Genesis 1.28, he commands Adam and Eve. He says, now I want you guys to be fruitful and multiply, to increase in number. Basically, he says, I want you to pass this down. I want you to pass it down. I want you to leave a godly legacy on this earth. People who will walk and breathe and declare who I am, that we will leave a spiritual footprint behind us. There will come a day when every one of us will pass on from this life to the next. And when that happens, what will be the spiritual footprint that we leave? Genesis 2 says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden uh, in the east in Eden. And there he put man he had formed. And the Lord God, Yahweh, Elohim, made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were. Guys, next week we're going to talk about the fall of Adam and Eve. This is the glory days of the couple. But we're going to talk about that tree, if it's real, if it existed, did God really, you know, send them out of a place and did Satan really talk through a snake? We're going to talk about that next week. Now we get the location of Eden. Let's take a look at it. Genesis 2.10 says, uh, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. Its winds uh, through, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, uh, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Uh, uh, aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Verse 13, the name of the second river is Gehan. It winds through the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, of these four mentioned, there are two that are still identified today, and they are what is modern-day Iraq. Uh, Where Eden is, uh, is basically where the seat of civilization is. If you ever did ancient history in school, which everyone should have, you will find that one of the oldest civilizations on the planet is Mesopotamia. It's considered the seat of civilization. The north of Mesopotamia is the Assyrian uh, kingdom, which is the most ancient, the largest, most established, well-known ancient empire of the world. That seat of Mesopotamia is where Genesis says the Garden of Eden was somewhere. We don't know where. Today, that location is in Iraq. And to this day, and ever since that day, there's been more in that land and for that land. We're going to talk more about the location of Eden next week. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Everybody say, work it. To work it and to take care of it. Guys, this is the life where we're meant to live. Number two, we were created to work with God. Stewardship and care for the earth and for the world is what we have been commissioned to work with God on. All creation and the task to work it and to care for it. Guys, listen, work is not a result of sin. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, he didn't say, well, you know what, just for that, you're going to work the rest of your life. That's not what happened. In fact, he challenged us. 
He commanded, he, he gave the man specifically a unique job, care for, work, and rule the earth. He has commanded and designed all of us to work, whether we work at home or whether we work uh, to, to make life a better place, to, to, to care for it and to care for others. Men, we are designed to do things, to tinker, to fix, to be busy. That's why some guys, they, they like a little room. They like an office. They like a man cave because they can go in there and just mess with stuff. It's part of our design to mess with stuff. It's part of our design to work. That's why when a man is out of a job, there are a few things that, that crush a man's spirit like not having a job. Because he knows that for some reason in the very core of who he is, he was designed to work, to accomplish, to achieve. We are meant to work with God. And as a result, when we work with God, work becomes an act of worship. So I want to ask you a question, men and women. How do you know if your job is an act of worship? Well, why do you work? Does it reflect the goodness and character of God? Does your work echo the kindness and compassion of God? Does your work help the world's people who God loves and finds sacred to be better people? Or does it bring down society or culture? Do you reflect his holiness in the work that you do? Are you able to work at a place that allows you to reflect the purity of God? Do you bring the presence of God to that place in which you work? Do you see or do they see Jesus in you in your work? You see, you are designed to work with Jesus, created to work and to work with him. But we can't do it alone. So Genesis 1.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Here's the second thing, or third thing. The life we're meant to live is number three, is that life we were meant to live means that we were created to love. We were created to be in relationship, to have friends, to have family. Created in his image, we are given the ability to love and pursue love and connect with God and each other unlike any other being on the planet. Unlike any of your cats or dogs even, we have the capacity to love and to connect and to care to nourish and to pursue a better life for those that we love. The image of God does not mean physical. It means God's chief attribute is love. And God gave us the capacity not just for love, but for deep, deep love. The joy of giving love, the joy of receiving love. I tell you, there are few things that compare with the first time I ever held my daughters after they were born. There, there are few things that compare with the day that I said I do to my wife and the day we began a life together, the day that I got on my knees and proposed to her. There are a few days, there are a few things that compare when I see my daughters grow and become independent and become smart and intelligent and achieve great things. There are few things that compare to seeing some of you recognize your need for Jesus and dedicate your life to follow him. There are a few things that the, the, the joy of a kiss, the joy of, a, of giving a hug, of, of receiving a hug, the human touch, to see an old friend that you haven't seen in a long time, that, that just feeds your soul and your spirit. There are a few things. See, this capacity to love, that's a gift from God. We are created and designed to love. Genesis 1.28 says, be fruitful, fill the earth. That means build families build friendships, build connections, enjoy life together, fill it, enjoy it, 
Embrace each other. Guys, listen, because we're created in the image of God who exists in love, our lives will never be complete until we learn to live in love in community. The whole of our design, we were designed, it is not good for man to be alone. We were designed to live on this planet together with somebody, with friends, with family, with intimate relationships. The path of godliness always leads us towards community, always leads us to relationships. That is why when someone becomes a Christian, one of the core attributes that we want someone to know is that it's time to get into a body of believers, a church, and to be connected because you are designed. And the path to godliness, the the path to maturity in Christ will always include community. It will always include relationship. So men, let me talk to you for a second. As we get older, we tend to get more isolated. And it becomes hard to maintain and to keep and to have friends. It starts with an absence of friends. Eventually, we pull away from our wives, and that leads us to relational unhealthiness. Guys, listen, a path to godliness is always going to include a relationship with, with friends and with your family. Proverbs 18.24 says, An isolated man seeks his own desires. God created our hearts and lives to work best when we are in deep community with each other. So this is, this is the prime motivation of, of us as a follower of Christ. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ for this very purpose because we love people. To see them know the creator's love and design for their life. So let's move on. What does it make? Genesis 2.18. So what does God make? Because we're so, uh, you know, so empty, alone. Uh, the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. By the way, that's the first negative to pair in the Bible. It is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. Mankind was incomplete. Some of you will be, you know, like offended by somehow the women are an afterthought. Guys, listen. This is one of the most empowering verses for women that you'll ever read. Here's the deal. Guys, listen. Creation is incomplete without you. You complete, women, you complete God's design. You are the cherry on top. You are the icing on the cake. You are the essence of when God created you, he says, I'm done. Let's take a break. You are the pinnacle of what God's design for mankind is even. While God has commissioned men to lead this gift of a woman, Women, you are the gift that reflects the completion and the glory of God's goodness in our life. You see, without you, we are incomplete. Without you, we need help. Without you, we have no counsel. We have no deep, intimate friendships. So this is what happened. God says, it's not good, Adam, for you to be alone. I'm going to make someone helper or suitable, perfect for you. Genesis 2.19 says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could name them. And whenever the man named them, uh, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and the wild animals. We don't know what they are. He spoke in a language that does not even exist. Most of, the, most of the Semitic languages of the Hebrews of Moses even do not exist to this day. We do not know the animals. God did not, uh, I'm sorry, Adam did not call a lion a lion. Okay, we don't know what he called him, but he named him. He took responsibility. That means a sense of ownership. When you name things, that means you own it. So he was taking on the role as the caregiver and the steward. So, but for Adam, no suitable 
helper was found. He looked around. He saw the sun bathed in its warmth. He saw the trees, ate of the fruit of the vine, and he saw these animals, as cute and cuddly as they were, and he said, God, I love you, but I'm still empty. I'm still missing something. So I want to share with you real quick the marriage we were meant to have. Marriage by God. This is the first thing I want you to know is that we were designed to be different. We were designed for different roles. Verse 18 says, I will make a helper suitable for him. The word helper means equal companion, but different. Guys, listen, I don't know if you've noticed, men and women are different. I know. Can I get some illustrations up here, please? I'm just kidding. We are different, very different. When it comes to how we view life, how we respond to life, uh, our bone structure, our biology, our hormones, our emotions, everything about us is different. You can change the package all you want, but it won't change the spirit, the soul, the design, the biology of who we were designed to be, and that is different. God created us equal but different He created us as a gift to each other, particularly women, you are a gift. Women, you complete everything. While man is created to work and give, women are created to receive and to make. For instance, a man might bring home and and say, this is now our house, but a woman turns a house into a home, right? A man might bring home a meal, but somehow a woman can take a meal and and, uh, food and turn it into a dinner, Uh, you know, uh, an exquisite example of, 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 of taking something and making it even better. You see, women have, a, have an ability that's special and unique. Suitable means comparable, equal, not inferior, but unique. You know, this is not a study on Ephesians 5, but if you look at Ephesians 5, chapter 21 to 31, the Apostle Paul gives a very clear layout that, guys, we're different. Men and women are different, designed with different roles in the home and different roles in marriage. In Outside of marriage, we are as equal as equal can be. In marriage, there's design and roles. Not because one is better than the other, but because one is gifted uniquely differently than the other. Equal, but uniquely different. Designed to be different, husbands are to be humble, servant, sacrificial leaders who guide and direct as Christ guides. Women, by the way, helper is not a bad word. There's only two other things that are called helper in the Bible. Are you ready? It's God himself and his presence, the Holy Spirit, the helper. So a help and being a helper is someone who counsels, comforts, guides, instructs, teaches, helps. You are a gift. Husbands, if you don't let your wives help you, you are keeping them from the design in which they have been given to you for. You're denying them of their design. I don't know about you, but I treasure my wife. And some of you women who will be married one day, I hope that you find a man who understands the gift that you are, that you are designed equal but unique, equal with different roles, designed differently. Genesis 2.21 says this. It says, So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. By the way, that's the first surgery ever. Uh, Then the Lord God made a woman... From the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought it to her, uh, brought her to the man. This is the first marriage. 
Then the man said, now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. I want you to write this down. This is number two, the marriage we were meant to have is that we were designed to be side by side. We were designed to be beside, not behind. From day one, it was designed to be a partnership. With different roles and different qualities, we are partners. Eve, her name was named later on in Genesis 3, the first time that Eve shows up. The name is Hawa, which means life giver. So the very word Eve means you are the mother of life. Designed to be beside, not behind. Not walking three steps beside uh, or three steps behind, but arm in arm. Genesis 2.24 says, This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible, it shows up in six, six places in the Bible. This one verse, I want you to write this down. Number three, marriage was designed for a man and a woman. It says, for this reason, for this reason, a man will leave other committed responsibilities and cleave to his wife for this reason. And they became one flesh, and that one flesh is a picture of sexuality as well as spiritual union as well as sexual union. Man and woman confirmed and established in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Genesis 1.28, one of our great designs is to leave a godly spiritual footprint, to be fruitful. Sex is a part of God's beautiful design. The amazing wonder of procreation. Every creation was designed for the opposite sex, including men and women. In fact, of all of creation, human beings are the only ones that copulate face-to-face because of that embedded design for relationship, intimacy, and deep love. Genesis 1.28 says and declares, go enjoy each other's unique differences by having sex. Every creation was designed this way. He could have said, hold hands and you'll get pregnant. Aren't you glad he didn't? (laughs) We'd have a lot of people and having babies would be really boring. (laughs) But he didn't. Instead, he gave us a very unique, special, intimate, and fun way to enjoy each other. We get to hold each other. We get to kiss each other. We get to have this special connection. Guys, listen, that gives God glory. Romans 1, the whole chapter talks about the glory of his creation in this area and the perversion of this area in creation as well. Genesis 2.25, we got to wrap this up. It says this, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Here's the last thing I want you to write down, is that marriage was meant to be designed for transparency. It was, it was designed for a place of vulnerability and intimacy. Marriage is a place of trust and openness. See, this is about intentionally stoking and keeping that intimacy alive. That means when you get married, the journey just begins. You see, what happens whenever you lose that naked and unashamed aspect of your life is when secrets begin to creep in in a marriage, whenever you begin to hide yourself physically and emotionally from each other, when you get to the place where you're afraid of sharing your heart, your passions, your dreams, you know, you're stepping outside of God's design 
for you as a couple. You were designed for transparency. You were designed for intimacy. You were designed to be naked and unashamed. The sense of not keeping secrets. And guys, listen, my wife and I, we married 24 years this year. It's not something that naturally happens. It's something that must be stoked and inspired and encouraged and something that must be worked at because left to itself, we build walls around ourselves. So we must intentionally keep that transparency. Some of you guys have been married for a while and you've lost some of that transparency. You're starting to keep things to yourself. You're starting to stop talking to your spouse. Guys, you need to reverse that direction and, and make amends and start digging into the design that God has for you as a couple, transparency, intimacy, vulnerability. See, when I do marriage counseling, I'll often give uh, the four steps of Genesis chapter two. That is, they receive, they leave, they cleave, they weave. For example, Adam and Eve, they received each other as a gift from God. That's courting or dating. And they left or they leave their parents. That means you leave prior responsibilities. That's marriage. And then they cleave. They become one. That's sex, which is designed to follow marriage, not precede marriage. And then they weave. They intentionally keep connected as they try and to pursue to stay naked and ashamed, being transparent. This is the marriage we were meant to have. That is the design of the glory days of God, the person we were meant to be, the life we were meant to live, and the marriage we were meant to have. Guys, I want to challenge you to get back to the glory days. We have fallen, and I'm going to talk about that fall next week. But through Christ, through Yahweh, through God who came and manifest himself in the flesh, Yahshua, Jesus, we can know Yahweh and have the breath of God breathed into our marriage, into our life. Yahweh is here today. I want to end by reading the verse I started off with in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are not evolved animals. We are God's image bearers, created with value, with purpose, and with design, created to love, created to reflect his kindness and compassion, the life we were meant to have. But sin crept in and made us sick in heart and selfish in sin. But there is a redeemer. His name is Yahweh in the flesh, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you right now. Uh, I want to watch this video, and then after this video, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the band to come down during the video. Um, go ahead and play that, and I want to pray for you. I am the might before the sword, the tremors in the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, 
Sagomatha, watchmen of the Asian plains, they yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for, I am the word. I emerge deciduous from the wetlands of your cries, rise through the moments you wake. I bring the dawns that shake the fevers from your remembrance. I am here, I am imminent. I am he who crosses the plains through which you strayed. Discover the parts extinction seared. I dust away the dried remains of tears. Drain the lakes of your regrets. I wet the wells, till the soil, forsake the toil, quell the rages, sow the broken pages with my belief in you. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. I am the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs, you are looking for me. In the body touching body, it is me you seek. In the groans and the longings, it is me you seek. In the yearning dream, in the need to be seen. In the love me, love me, it is me you seek. In the breath drop wonders, gasping hunger. In the touch of a stranger that makes you feel younger in the books and the fables in the this is me labels in the is this me is this me in the hear me hear me say my name in the touch me find me need me find me in the aching pain in the love the music the beats the taste in the heat and the need and the need for embrace in the color the gaze the meaning the desire in the flame of the voice and the spirit of the fire when you cry for more my name you weep i am he who waits for you to reach i reach for you and wait when you lie half broken and awake i am the watchman of your sleep i wait and wait till the shakings cease i am the truth they call release when the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would help us to understand who we were created to be, the cry of our heart, the cry of this nation currently. God, the pain and the suffering, the anger. God, that sense of, of fear or anxiety or easiness, God, that, that, that sense of isolation. God, in the blessings of life, that's you. And in the trials of life, they scream for our need for you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to know that right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.